Welcome to Systems Meet Humanity, shining a spotlight on the intersection where business structures meet emotion. I'm your host, Marina Darlow. Let's dive in. My guest today is Chody Hume, a personal strategist and facilitator for busy leaders and their teams. She's a passionate guide for conversations that really matter, whether they're with your team, with your loved ones, or in your own head. After a 15-year career as a COO of a growing architecture firm, Jody now facilitates for and coaches clients ranging in size from organizations as large as John Hopkins to nonprofits such as Teach for America to hundreds of grown entrepreneurial companies. Hi, Jody. Welcome to Systems Meet Humanity. Awesome having you here. Thanks. It's great to be here. We like to ask our guests a number of questions that repeat themselves and then see what this conversation tells us. Because we talk about systems here, I'm wondering, at your current level of success, could you name one or maybe a couple of key factors that brought you here? I won't be as cheesy as like, what's your secret to success? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) What's your secret to success? So this is not a cop out. It sort of feels like the same way that I say the only parenting advice that I will ever give is don't take parenting advice from anyone else. I feel like one of the things that has been really key for me is becoming more and more comfortable with the fact that I have to find what systems like custom fit for me. And it doesn't matter if it works for somebody else or if it works for me, it's going to work for my business and it's going to set me up to do well. And so as a really great example, some of my best traits come from my biggest weaknesses. I have some very specific learning disabilities that make like thinking of specific words sometimes hard for me. Well, that means that I, I speak in metaphor a lot because I can't think of a word I need. And so, but that's actually part of the magic of some of the work that I do with my clients is, and I won't get into geek out on all that, but you know, I think that's always a case that your weaknesses can become your strengths. And where one of those places, though, the weakness is just simply a weakness for me is scheduling. And it seems like this really basic thing. It seems like it shouldn't be complicated, but something about the scheduling process brings out the worst, most inefficient, ineffective, useless part of my brain. And it's because I I go into this maximizing thing where you're like, oh, if I'm going to schedule with that person in that part of town, then I should also try and do this other thing that's down there. Well, I'll check with them first and see if they're available before I do that. And I'm on my phone trying to do it. And it, it all gets crazy. So a few years ago, I just gave into the awareness that I needed someone else to do my scheduling. And that sounds logically like not a big deal. But here's why it's a big deal. It feels, I could fill in the blank with 20, 20 things, pretentious. Um, disconnected or something. When I say to somebody, oh yeah, I'd love to get together with you. Let me wrap in Karen, my wizard of scheduling. She'll find us some time. You know, immediately I'm like, are they going to think that I'm too important to schedule time when they're using their time to schedule time? Like I almost want to have this little disclaimer that says it's, it's almost like my seeing eye dog kind of thing. Like you don't want me doing the scheduling. But the fact of the matter is I was dropping all kinds of balls doing it. And Karen does it fast, efficiently. She never forgets anybody everybody wins if I let Karen do it. It's kind of a long story, but the more that I just said, you know what, here's what I'm great at. Here's what I'm not. I need a system for that. I need a person for that and clear the space for me to do the things that I do best. I'd say that's the heart of everything. I love it. Both the fact that you took what you perceived as a weakness and turned it into a gem and kind of a personal signature, I would say. Yeah, a a little bit. I mean, it's, 
it's kind of nice because it actually gives me somebody else who can be thinking about what my clients need and whatnot. It was, it would, because I don't, with what I do, I don't think there'll ever be like a second person helping me in the core of what I deliver. But now there's, I, I was able to create a little bit of this team culture, which would have been difficult otherwise with what I do. So she can help me keep track of people. It's allowed me to work with more people because that's the other thing. If, you know, if you're not naturally good at something, it takes up more of your time. It takes up more of your brain space. It takes more of the fuel. I actually have legitimized data to that. Like I was spending, when I first hired Karen, I was spending what equated, it was in little snippets, but I tried tracking my time for a little while. It was spending like three or four hours a week, just, you know, batting around schedules because I'd send some dates. And by the time they got back, those dates wouldn't be valid anymore because I'd plopped things in those times. We'd have to start over. There was a lot of, we, of like, going back and redoing things and I'd forget dates. It's just it's kind of a mess. And it made me look flaky and I hated that. And so I was spending a ton of time doing it. And when I hired her, I told her that she said, well, how many hours do you need? And I said, well, you know, at least you can probably do it faster, but I'm spending three to five. So at least like two to three hours a week, she does all of my scheduling and it takes her like two to three hours a month. Wow. It. Yeah. It's just, it's nonsense. Like, I don't know why I wasn't doing it 10 years ago, but <laughs> I presume that the three hours a week that you now don't spend on scheduling, you know, beyond the quantitative 12 hours a month rather than two hours a month, mm -hmm. I would imagine that you can invest these hours, at least some of them, in money generating activities. Not only invest in you know, revenue generating activities, what it also does is, you know, I think a lot about the drain that things have on you. Like not only was it taking up time and energy to do it and I wasn't great at it. And like I said, most of the time because I'm out and about so much, which, which is why, you know, just in case someone's thinking, why doesn't she just use like, uh, you know, acuity scheduler or, or whatever. If I was just doing phone calls, those things would be fantastic. But I'm about 50% phone calls, 50% in person. And those things do, they just, they, I, I, I tried that for a while and boy, did I create some just really unfortunate situations I had to untangle. Yep. So I want to stop here for what you said and bring up a point. What you're talking about are actually two pieces of a good system. System, in my view, is part process, like what you do, and part tools, like what you use to do it. So for instance, what you were saying, the way I hear it, you can have the greatest tools. QED scheduler, you can have Calendly, you can have the best software in the world, but if your process is broken, if you're not comfortable with the process itself because it doesn't tap into the right part of your brain, because your genius lies elsewhere, because you need to outsource it, the best tools in the world are not going to fully help you. No. And I want our listeners to kind of write down this point because I'm probably going to hammer on it a lot and, you know, <laughs> until it sticks. Yeah, well, because here's, because here's the other piece to it. Not only was it that drain of everything we've hit on so far and the things that just didn't work when I was trying, because for years I just tried to use some, some software to, to solve the problem. It seemed like it should be simple. And trust me, I'm pretty certain I've tried everyone there is. And I think for certain things, you don't need a what, you need a who. That came to me when someone said the right who comes with the how. And Karen was somebody who was already doing this for a friend, so I didn't have to try and teach her how to do it. She was already, she already had a methodology that was working. She came with that guidance. And that has been a really big point for me as well is, is discerning when things need a who that already comes with a how and when I need to like create the system myself. But I, I keep skipping this one point I want to make sure we make. 
not only was that a time drain and an energy drain, but there was this added thing that's completely absent now, dread, regret, um, shame is way too strong of a word for something like this, but like embarrassment. I would send some dates to somebody, they would reply back and I would miss the email and then I, and then that date would have passed and I'd have to start again. And for me, feeling like I look flaky or not put together, just gives me, it's a weight. Like I feel like it's like boom on my shoulders that like I could do without that. <laughs> I have this just complete confidence that nobody gets missed over or forgotten or not taken care of. I, here's, here's another piece to it. I would send these big swaths of time. I would say like, Oh, I'm open from 10 to three that day. Does anything in there work? Well, Karen doesn't do that. She's like, Jody's available at 10 on this day and here on this day. And it's, she just keeps it so clean. Karen's gates will be flooded at the end of this episode. You can't have her. She's mine. But it's the fact that there, it just called forth all sorts of bad habits that I have that just created all these problems that then made me feel bad, which was just kind of silly. So I always, that's a place that I look for systems to kind of clean up the clutter of what's not working for me in my business. That's awesome. You know, you brought up the next question I wanted to ask. I'm like, oh, she's already talking about this. Ask it. <laughs> you're ruining everything, Jody. <laughs> no, you're ahead of the curve. Okay. <laughs> so in my experience, the time when people decide that they need a system is when something happens on an emotional level, <laughs> right? So when I started my business, my mentor at the time came to me and said, you realize that when people come to you, they're most likely a hot mess. Like mm -hmm. nobody comes to mm -hmm. a systems person because they just want nice systems. <laughs> so <laughs> it's true. It's like, it's like all sorts of risks based things like insurance or, you know, I have a, I have a client who has a security, like data security kind of company. He's like, no one ever wants to talk to us until they have a data breach or until of course. she's like, ah, oh, we're fine. It's all good. And then they're like, Oh my God, this thing happened. Like, there's a very small percentage of people who are, I'm going to do it right from the start. Right. Yeah. And the people who come to me for discovery sessions, people like this, a big chunk of them said, nah, Afro, nah, I'm good. Do you, in your work, have a system to help your clients? Like, how does it apply to your line of work? So in my line of work, I have very few systems, at least in the typical sense of the word, for how I deliver what I do. I have a lot of systems back end, like back of the house, there are systems in place. But in the moment, for, for many of the same reasons you're talking about, because one of the first steps, so that's why I said it's, it, there is sort of a system there, but a little bit off the normal definition of it. One of the first steps that I have to do with people is put them at ease. A lot of my clients, much like you actually, we're, we're, we are often, very often, starting on a business decision or a business something, a, some sort of, like there's some sort of knot tangled up in their business. And to them, it just feels like they have this giant business knot. If I said like, oh, you've, you've got, there's some sort of like underlying emotional thing, they, they'd be like, ah, whatever, you know, and especially with some of my clients, they would never step into, they would never raise their hand for that conversation. So they're not even aware how much the emotional entanglement is what's creating the emotional entanglement. So the first thing, and for many of them, it's hard to talk about that they even have an issue because with business, it's so interesting. Um, I was talking to someone who has a podcast all centered around taboo topics. So he, his entire podcast is to just address a huge swath of numbers of to topics that people are ashamed to talk about or feel like they should be ashamed, even if they aren't, don't feel like they can talk about so that he can 
if not normalize them, at least make them a little bit less taboo and shame filled or whatever. And I said, that's so fascinating because that's why my co-host and I, Elliot and I started our podcast was for the same thing for business. And he said, that's so interesting because I wouldn't think of business as being that way. And this was what I'm getting back to. That's actually the point. There is this weird extra tab, like business itself isn't a taboo topic, but the line for what you're allowed to experience in business is so high. Anything but I'm crushing it. Everything's great. Like anything but that is, at least in most circles, it feels like it's not okay. Right. And you're only allowed to talk about failure after you have overcame it and made yes. it into a learning point. And <laughs> right. then you can proudly wield it and say, here, yeah. I failed many times, but I failed my way to the top. You know? Right. But yeah. God forbid you talk about failure in the moment. Yes then you're a loser and nobody likes losers and nobody's ever going to do business with you because right. you're a loser. And notice, this is literally talk that I talk in the world. It's what I preach and rewind 10 minutes and listen to how much weight I put on the possibility that someone who me, like dropping the ball and scheduling might choose. I mean, that's a really high bar that something that that is the level for judgment that like, Oh, she messed up on scheduling. I'm not working with her. Like the, the level for what kind of failures is acceptable is so high that it's pretty much anything but raging success is, is taboo. You will never go to a networking meeting, meet someone say, how's it going? And say, why well, right in the middle of a fantastic failure that maybe someday will be a great story, but right now is just a hell of a mess. You know, it, it, it doesn't happen. I have to um, say that would be a refreshing tactic for networking. No, that is, um, that is actually kind of the touchstone of like the, the people who will have those conversations with me are, are my favorite humans on the entire planet. It's, it's why we started the podcast. It's why I do what I do is, is to make space for the conversations that don't have anywhere else to go. So this ties back to your original question that you just asked me, which is when I sit down with someone, I am sitting down with someone who for them just simply acknowledging that they have a business issue, whether or not there is truly an emotional underpinning, you know, I don't try to make everything a psycho, you know, a psycho battle conversation, but just admitting they have that problem is already emotionally entangled. Even if their topic still just remains a strict business question at the end of the day. And then also sometimes there's like weird emotional stuff all, all wound in. So, you know, it continues to need to be untangled. But for me, that first system is just simply, I'm listening and watching for every place this person is going into a state of embarrassment or, you know, like where it's hard for them to even just talk about the thing is the place where I have to sort of smooth out the edges and just make space for them to know it's okay. And as much as people want to be special, sometimes it's really, really helpful to hear that they're super, super, super normal and not messed up and that that's just, that's just what happens in business. <laughs> You're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. No, that, it's, yeah, I, I've often said if, if it's lonely at the top, you're probably doing it wrong. <laughs> so on a practical level, what do people come to you for? So there's, there's a couple things. I have a bit of a niche market in what I can only refer to as um, the best I can describe it as like business couples, like business couples therapy, <laughs> um, whether that's business partners or like a senior person in there, or, you know, like a CEO in one of their direct reports or something when they have just, when they cannot, when they can no longer communicate um, when, when things are just so not working. Um, that is, that is one kind of 
one specific thing that people come to me for. Most of the rest of my work, they walk through a what feels like a million different issues. So it's just, it could be everything from I don't know how to get my people to do what I, you know, it's some sort of I don't know how to or I'm spinning my wheels on or they want help thinking through things that they're stuck on and they can't seem to get to the other side of. My prior starting this business, I was CEO of an architecture firm for years. And a lot of that is just simply separating fact from fiction and what's the process we need to move forward and solving problems quickly, left, right, and center. So, so sometimes it's coming through a very side work with that. But what they stick around for, as you either move up the ladder or as your company grows, or even when it's small and you're struggling to grow it, there's more and more and more uncertainty. And there are less and less and less places that most people feel like they can go to talk about that. Sometimes because they don't want to bother that person, like their significant other, they don't want to you know, drag them down with it. Sometimes that significant other doesn't like having, like if they have a high need for security, anything that doesn't sound like everything's great can freak them out and can be stressful. Sometimes they're just, it's not that they're not interested, but they don't, you know, they might say, how was your day? But they don't have a second question to, to process it. Um, and some people, especially verbal processors, really need to be able to talk things through to get to the other side. And there are just so many conversations that they can't talk to their business partner about, they, they shouldn't talk to their staff about. And when those conversations or decisions, a lot of times it's decisions or, or thought processes or don't have a place to go, they just kind of fester. To me, it sort of feels like a, um, like a peanut M&M. Like there's, no matter what somebody comes to me with, what problem they have, there's always some peanut of truth, some, some reality of like, yeah, this is a legitimate valid issue that's happening. There is almost always some big thick layer of chocolate around it that is, and in this case, chocolate is bad, which is why I don't like this metaphor. Um, but it's all the assumptions and like assigning intent. Like, you know, this person said this thing. That's true. They said that thing. And clearly they think that I shouldn't be leading the company because you're like, well, okay, wait, wait, hold on, pause. (laughs) That part may or may not be true. Um, so separating like the things that are fears and um, like the things we make up to make sense of everything from the actual facts so that then we can just sort things out and move forward. Essentially, I like to make things easier for people and they get stuck and I love sort of solving the current problem and then they go out and do their thing and then when they have another problem, they come back. That's fascinating. You're like the office wife. A little bit. So it's really funny. There's, There's something about you know, there's, I have more than a couple clients who have said it's like sort of like business therapy just to talk things through. The interesting thing is if it was just therapy, if we were just talking through like, here's my experience of it, that would actually be boring for me. If we were just doing solving business problems and making spreadsheets, that would be boring for me. It is the diagnostic phase, which is the first piece of like, what is the real problem here? Is this specifically actually just a business issue? And if so, let's work on it. Or are there other things tangled in here that are not just this, not just the business side? Like part of it is practical business part. And then some of it comes back to deeper emotional intelligence things that are kind of glitching. You know, that's why I founded this podcast because Mm -hmm. it's, hey, systems meet humanity. It's where the practical part meets the emotional And this is where all the interesting things really happen. And I feel that not enough conversation happening around this. So there's a lot of mindset talk. If you're just in the right mindset, you will do okay. (laughs) And there's, of course, a lot of talk about the practical tools and methods. And here's your guide to strategic planning. 
Yeah, don't give us And they have their merit. <laughs> I, I believe in strategic planning a lot. I just think... I, I do, unless it ends up becoming a binder that sits on a shelf that no one pulls down and does anything with. And it was just a waste of a day. Right. But the thing is, if it's anchored in emotion, if it's anchored in real wishes, if it's an imprint on a team's psyche... Or on just entrepreneur psyche, then it won't end up on a shelf because then you really want to do something about it. And this is where things get really interesting. Oh, my heaven. So, so when I do do strategic planning, um, th- those are some of the things I vet for. Like if they want a 200 page binder with tabs, with, I'm like, that's not, we're not, no, that's you, wrong girl. Like <laughs> wrong. Cause I just fundamentally don't believe that you can create what you're talking about at that level. Like somewhere between the way I like to do it and that it loses all that humanity and it just becomes this thing. It's like, oh, the bigger the spreadsheet, the better we did at strategic planning. No. And I was, I was working with this organization who had done a bunch of research into like best practices, what other organizations like them had done to create the exact same outcomes, similar organizations. Logically speaking, this plan that they were starting with, that they thought was what they were going to do sounded, I mean, there's no reason anyone would argue with it, including me, except for this fact. We were taking that plan and sort of turning it into an actual plan, like who would do what and when. And I wish I had like a time-lapse video of the room to show you, like you can insert in the podcast here somehow, because I don't know if if I would say no one could miss, because I certainly couldn't miss it. I could like physically feel it. People are just kind of sinking slowly in their chairs and the energy started to slog. And I I just said, okay, guys, let's pause for a second, like, because, because this piece of it would essentially so I don't have to go into the details, something equivalent to like all these board members cold calling. They weren't actually cold calls, but still like it it feels sort of similar. And I said, just a hunch, you know, would anyone in here rather have their toenails pulled off than make these phone calls? And like almost every hand in the room went up. I said, okay, guess what? It doesn't matter if this is quantifiably research proven, Harvard says so, the best way to go you're not going to do it. Like no one's going to make their calls. And so unless you want to spend the next year coming together, feeling bad that you didn't make your calls and nobody made their calls and how do we guilt people into making their calls? Like, why don't we come up with a better plan, better way to do this? And we batted that around for a few minutes. Someone made a joke about like, well, well why can't we just do a bourbon tasting or something like that? It was, it was, it was truly a joke. And I said, well, hold on, let's just, maybe that doesn't work, but let's play with it. And we play with it a little bit. And it, it actually is, it, they now run this like series of, it's not just bourbon tastings. They run this series of really cool events throughout the year that accomplish every single goal that they wanted to accomplish in a way that they're excited about and they have a lot of fun and they look forward to and they'll tell their friends about just naturally. And guess what? That's what works. It doesn't matter if that other system worked for somebody else. It's irrelevant. Yep, I could not agree more. Am I, am I preaching to the choir? <laughs> yes, <laughs> you are. I almost want guests who would argue with me, who I would disagree with, and we right. have tensions. Exactly. Yeah. But you're talking. I'm like, yep. Oh yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah, that's how it is. <laughs> so, okay, here's here's one more question for you. Sure. And I wonder if you will preach to the choir here as well. If not, if not, well, then we'll get to argue about it. So exactly. either way, we win. Yeah. So I see business owners, especially, you know, in the smaller side, the solopreneurs, those who are not an established organization with a marketing department, but just preferably people who like to bake pies and they want to open their pie bakery and that's all they want to do. These people, by the way, coaches are 
probably the biggest chunk of this population, will have a lot of trouble making themselves visible, marketing themselves, shooting their own horn, because A, most of us never went to school for marketing, and B, it's scary. So then when you come to this piece that you need to market yourself, like you're okay, um, is there a system that would help me get out of the emotional paralysis because I'm scared out of my mind. Mm. And then of course you see, Oh, seven steps to forever booking yourself solid. <laughs> and then, so that's the marketing part. And then there's the other end where there are inner operations. And this is where this is how you keep track of your money. This is how you make sure everything happens on time. This is how you make sure that your team knows what you want them to do and not, you know, spend three hours on something that you actually put in the wrong folder. Mm-hmm. That's a painful example from my past. <laughs> yes. My I've never day. done that. Never done that. <laughs> yeah. So here's my question. Do you feel that the systems for visibility and marketing yourself and all these highly charged stuff, are they fundamentally different for the systems that you use for internal operations? Hmm. I'm fascinated by this question. Say a little bit more. So, so the systems for marketing, are they different from your inside system? Like, should they be different or want to make sure I understand the question? So my question is systems for marketing and systems for inner operations, are they fundamentally similar or are they so vastly different in your opinion? Because marketing requires a lot more emotional and mental effort because it's kicking yourself out of the comfort zone. I love it when people ask me questions about things that I've never specifically thought about. So I kind of have to check in with like, what is my answer? Because I could just start talking and, and say one thing and be like, wait a minute, actually, that's not my answer. So Verbal processing. Yeah, totally, totally. I'm such a verbal processor, which, so interestingly, because this sort of ties into what my answer will be, which when I was looking for assistance was something that I had to in my early days of making, I won't say bad hiring decisions because I I did well with what I knew to look for at the time. But one of the things is one of the first people I had working for me, it drove her batty crazy that I verbal processed things because to her, I would start talking and say like, okay, I want to, I want to create this sheet where like blah, 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 blah. And as I talked it through, even though I thought this through to myself and thought I was done, but as I was saying it to her, I was like, oh, you know what? Actually, now that I think about it, if we do, if we do this instead, that'll make that 10 times easier. But until it's like coming out my mouth, I, I can't get there. But in her mind, like I'd already said something and she was sort of getting ready to go. And then she was taking notes. Yeah, she's taking notes, like, but I've written it down already. We're like, like well, okay, I don't know, start a new page? Like, <laughs> for me, like, what's the problem? Like, it's, it's a better, like, she would agree it's a better idea, but she would be frustrated that I didn't just start with that idea. So that ties into my answer a little bit is, and it kind of goes back to the first question you asked me. At the end of the day, all of it has to fit with who you are or, or it's not going to work these kinds of businesses. Now, if you're talking about like a giant company, then I would say there's a different, different set of rules. When you get to a certain size with a certain number of employees, it's not even that many. I'll just say it this way. The more employees you have, the more you're trying to answer this question at both a meta level and your own level. But fundamentally, if you are the, the head goose of the company, even if you have 20 employees, it still has to kind of fit with your natural dance moves that feel right for you. Absolutely the systems inside are a little different from the outside. Like if you're more of an introvert or something, then you may need different kinds of out there systems. 
but they still have to be ones that work for you. Because I did used to do a fair amount of system consulting kinds of stuff. And I was always looking for what's going to, what's going to land just naturally for this person. What's a version for them that feels good. Like built my business really for years and years and years of investing in my local area network of people. Like that's, that's just kind of the way that always worked for me. A big, I'm not the person who goes to the networking that like, hi, I'm Jody, you know, and coming home with 10 things and then try to meet with those 10 people that never worked for me. Cause it's not my style. I like building deeper relationships and I spent years trying to like move my business online with all, I have all those binders about how to, how to sell from the stage, how to do this, how to, you know, put together a webinar and have 10,000 people. I tried all those things and every single one of them fell flat on their faces. And so what does work for me is just simply spending more time and having more conversations with people that I love and really zing with when I meet them and just naturally connect with. And when I stopped, when I took out all the clutter of all the other things I thought I was supposed to be doing for marketing and just did this, just did that. One of my mentors had this phrase that said, do more of what works. And I kept saying, well, I don't have any. She's like, you know, if you had a webinar that worked, do more of that. And I was like, I don't have anything that, that I can repeat. Everything I've had is so random. And then this one day I was like, oh, no, it's not random. Like, yes, it seems random because this ex-client or this person I know or this person just calls and says, hey, here's this thing. Like, hey, here's this thing. It felt random, but it wasn't. It was just simply I was building relationships. And so for me, the only kind of marketing that works is building relationships with people and talking to people that I, a small group of people that tend to refer me and, and connect me with other people who are that kind of person. Only thing that works for me. Uh, for other people, that's not their thing. So you have to find your own flavor of it that works for you. I love this answer. I really, really love it. It's completely different from what I was expecting in oh, a sense. Can we argue about it? Do you have a different... <laughs> I, I would offer kind of my take. Cool. It doesn't contradict what you say, especially because I really, really connected with what you said about building relationships rather than blasting the internet with your like that's just for me I'm, I'm sort of envious of the people who have who you know who can put together these funnels and they do this thing and i'm like i i was i always wanted to kind of do that it's, it has an interest to me does i just couldn't doesn't work for me <laughs> why we had to give up on it <laughs> yeah i can relate that's why i started the podcast because i can have a real conversation i can talk yes. to people yes yes no this this works for me like doing this podcast with yeah. elliot that works for me. And it's, and now I go out and tell people like, Oh, I've heard your podcast. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is marketing that works for me. It's fun. And it's interesting. In my view, there are certain fundamental qualities to a system because it's a system mm. and wherever you use it, whether you're built in a sales funnel or swiping through your Rolodex or you're setting up your calendar or you're looking at your budget, there are certain commonalities that have to be applied to a system because it's a system. Hmm. And that holds true for marketing stuff as well as for internal stuff. From what you said, by the way, it's also, you know, first of all, there is a process that you follow. It could be changed as time goes by or customized for a specific purpose or for a specific person, but the process is there. For instance, you go out, you maybe comment on somebody's blog, you meet them, you find 
find points of interest, you follow up, mm-hmm. you may be doing something together, and that's kind of a process to build in a relationship. It could vary from person to person, but it's there, right? Yeah. You're comfortable Absolutely. with it. You don't need to reinvent it. Same is true when you're looking at your budget, because I go into Mint every single week, and I go through my alerts, and I check the balances, and I see where we overspent, and so on and so forth. Again, it's something that is there and I didn't need to invent. You know, there's some basic underlying guidelines. And then there's another quality. And it's also something that what you said kind of brought up clarity or more precisely clear expectations. Mm-hmm. You know how you talked about the unpredictability and the uncertainty, the higher you climb? Yeah. I think systems, they're kind of overarching purpose is to reduce the unpredictability to make us feel more comfortable and clarity and expectations that are front and center and that everybody agrees on. They're an essential part of predictability. So for instance, when you were talking about verbal processing, right? And how it drove your employee up the wall. I'm like, But she needed to know that this is part of the process. But she needed to know ahead of time that like, she shouldn't be taking out her notes before you told her or that she could take all the notes in the world. But before you arrived into something, there should be like half an hour of just right bouncing off ideas. But even I didn't know that was a problem because it doesn't bother me. So until I encountered the bump in the road, I didn't even know that that was. So now I'm like, okay, so here's like now when I talk to people, I'm like, here's how I work. Exactly. How you manage these expectations. Yeah. Right. And it's part of the process that you go through and everybody's happier for it. But you're bringing up something that's so, so, so important. I think part of the reason that I love this work is a lot of the companies that I work with are are growing service professional companies. And a lot of times I end up working with them when they're somewhere between like 15 and 25 employees. Like um, I also work with smaller people and larger people, but, but there's something specific that happens in this that I just love. Somewhere in that space, they, they've gotten too big for when you're, when you're founding something, you're just starting off. Sometimes it can feel like you're field medics. You know, everyone's kind of running out and doing whatever works and that's great. But then there comes this point where you have to be a little bit more like a surgical team where people have clear roles and responsibilities, but it's not until you start encountering those problems that you even know that you're at the point. Cause, cause I think sometimes if you try and put too many systems in place, it can be just as problematic to try and like systematize things before they're even, before they even exist, because you don't even know what you need a system for. And I don't know where I got this quote, but um, creating just enough structure to give you freedom. Yeah. And, and that's what I think of in these things. We, we don't need, like the minute you start having some of these issues with people, we don't need a super detailed org chart and a policy manual with 27 things. We need just enough structure to reestablish the freedom to go back to doing what you want to do. So you take away the problem that it's solving. And so it goes back to the emotional side though, is that if somebody's standing there feeling bad, that they're having these issues pop up in their company, like people are griping at each other. Like that's the thing I often get called in for the reverse too. I get called in for an emotional thing. Like, Oh, these people can't get along or whatever. And as I listen, I'm like, well, actually it's not like, yes, they're not communicating well like that. That is an issue. But fundamentally, if this problem wasn't, ha- they have an operational problem that needs a better system that wouldn't cause this thing to happen that then they're having to communicate about. Like still have the communication problem. We can actually take away the problem and then in a lighter touch way, give them some better tools for communicating when other things come up. But the fact that progress looks like a new set of problems, and I love that because it takes away the shame of it. Like if you want to grow, if you want to develop, 
expect that it will come with problems if you just solve them as you go. Like there's no shame in that. That's just what growth looks like. It's like business puberty, you know? <laughs> you know? Right. You're having pimples. You're supposed to have pimples. If you don't get through this phase, you'll never be a grown up. So those are your choices. <laughs> Absolutely. You have to have, like when you grow, it's like more clay thrown out at you. And you have to have clay before you can shape it into something that you can work within. You can't just imagine a shape and it'll materialize if you don't have any clay to work with. Yeah. When you put it on, it's not going to be pretty. It's going to be awkward and clumpy and you have to like work it into place. Like it, it's, I think acknowledging and accepting the process of business can alleviate unnecessary shame and inner drama that comes up when you're having a problem. Yeah, I absolutely agree. So before we wrap up, mm-hmm. I would love to hear an example because what you said about, you know, two people are having communication issues, but they're having this communication issues because there was a systemic problem that made them clash about something, mm-hmm. right? And if you take away the systemic problem, they won't have to have a difference of opinion, mm-hmm. right? So, I would love to hear an example of such situation. Obviously, you're free to change names and circumstances, but I want our listeners to sink their teeth in something like that so it's not abstract. Yeah, so I'll give you um, the first one because this one I can tell very easily, and while I do that, I'll think of how to like augment a more specific version for a smaller company that the company, if they ever hear this, will be like, you just told our story. I worked with a couple, I was, I was called in to do some work on culture and I was working with an organization where, where two things had happened. And it was, it was just fascinating to me because communication, communication is culture. You know, the, the level we're talking about, about the humanity of business really is at the giant company size shows up as culture. And that's what they wanted me to work on. And when I talked to the people, two interesting things came up. One, um, because they did this huge interview process throughout all their locations and one thing that had happened was that all these different locations, because they bought a bunch of different entities and different, you know, different companies. That's how a lot of companies grow is through acquisition. And this choice makes perfect logical sense. They, someone who's in charge of the whole big thing looked at it and said, well, it's silly that we have a legal team in every location. You know, we, we need a sales team in every location. That makes sense. But we don't need legal in every location. We don't need billing in every location. We don't need customer service. You know, I don't remember what they were, but it was a bunch of things. And legal was important because they had a lot of regulatory things they had to get through. So sometimes sales and legal were just, it weren't that they were picked against each other, but there was like sales would want to sell something and legal would be like, you can't. So, so they needed to be talking. But it makes perfect sense that you don't, in theory, that you don't need those in all locations. So they swooped all those things out into one central location, which, you know, I could totally imagine sitting at the table and, you know, at least at first being like, well, that seems to make sense. Great idea. Let's do that. We'll save all sorts of money. We can have all the legal team have the same rules and process, you know, whatever. Well, down the line, something really interesting happens. And this is something I listen for. Legal, now, instead of being like, Carol down the hall or Bob down the hall, who I fundamentally know is a good person and love to chat with. And I know their kids or whatever. And so when we have a disagreement, I'm imagining that they are a decent human being who probably has best intentions, whatever. And even then they would still get into fights sometimes, but that could be dealt with. Now becomes this like anonymous pronoun in a different state. And now all of a sudden they're kind of vilified. Well, legal won't let us do it. Legal this. And every time you call, you get a different person. And it created 
all these little billing is doing that. Well, so and so, and it, it dehumanizes that role. And something about that then disconnects the, the awareness of humanity. And when there's a disagreement, you're already starting off way behind the eight ball because you, it's not like, well, clearly Marina has a good, you know, she's, she has a, she's smart. If she's saying no, there's probably a reason I'm upset about it, but at least we can talk it through whatever. So that was really interesting. Second one was, this happens all the time in organizations where you have one division like sales who's incentivized on number of sales. And then you have another division who's in charge of making the thing happen. And in this case, they were incentivized on not making mistakes, almost exclusively, both of them. So what happens is at the end of every month, sales is like, come on, let's push this through. Let's, let's say yes to this. And the team who has to actually fulfill it was like, no, I'm going to take another two weeks to look it over. Like, that's not happening. So those two groups hated each other. And what's fascinating is when I took all those findings back, I said, no, 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 we, no, no. Sorry if that was confusing. Don't worry about like operational stuff. That's not part of this contract. We just want you working on culture. Yeah, <laughs> we just want you working on culture, but don't talk to people. Don't right. ask their opinions. Right. Don't gauge the temperature. We just want you to fix the culture. Fix the culture. Like, but, but don't pay attention to the fact that like giant swaths of people dislike other giant swaths of people because of, because of this operational thing. And I was like, what do you think, where, what do you think culture is? Like, where do you think it lives? Like it, like I was so befuddled. I said, I don't think we can do this. Like this isn't going to work mainly because I don't know what, I don't know what you want. If, <laughs> if you know what that, like, does it work that way. So, so that's like a big, big, big example. All right. That was uh, a fascinating conversation. I do like to talk. <laughs> Love to listen. Thank you, Jody, for being here. Oh, thank you so much, Marina. I, uh, I'm so happy that you're doing this. I, I don't know. Obviously, this is a topic that I just adore about, you know, where systems meet humanity. And you're the, probably the first person who like loves this little circle of the Venn diagram as much as I do. So I'm so happy you're doing this. Awesome. So to our listeners, tell us what you think. Leave us a review. And we'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Thanks for listening to Systems Meet Humanity. There are show notes and goodies at systemsmeethumanity.com. We'd love your support. Subscribe, leave us a review, share, tell the world. I'm Marina Darlow, and I'll talk to you next week.